Hello, and welcome to the Wild Wonder Podcast, where we seek to democratize and demystify holistic wellness practices by speaking with today's leading practitioners. I am your host, Kristen Yorka, and today I'm privileged to speak with author and pastor Kevin Sweeney about why the hardest thing we never want to do is the only thing that will set us free, letting go, and why through all the ups, downs, pitfalls, and false starts, Letting go is what ultimately brings us joy. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for joining us on the Wild Wonder podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. You know, I, I feel like I hope every time I'm on someone's podcast, even with my second book, you know, I just want you to know I'm so grateful and I don't take for granted people inviting me on, especially when a stranger like me reaches out to you and then you're gracious enough to listen and to, you know, establish that connection. So very grateful to be here. Happy to be with the listeners tuning in. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. No, thank you. As we spoke about off camera and off audio was that you actually reached out to me at the perfect time because the topic of your book is something I've been struggling to put into words for a few months now. So it was very much aligned. The title of your book is The Joy of Letting Go. Mm. I know why it was important to me and why I felt connected to you on that topic, but what, what, what made it so important for you to write about this now? Yeah. Um. You know, my, my wife and I actually started and led a church for about a decade here in Honolulu, Hawaii. So even and even before that, you know, whether it's working on the margins, working on the edges with people who have traditionally been marginalized, my wife, you know, training and now as a therapist for their own practice, our whole lives are just organically oriented towards community. They're oriented mm-hmm. towards healing. They're oriented towards people. So our whole lives is people and desiring to be guides to help provide people a path towards transformation, towards healing, towards more freedom, towards connection, towards all of the things we may not even be aware that we desire so much of what's driving us. And along the way, especially the past 10 years, there would be so many conversations where a person feels stuck, Hmm. where a person feels frustrated, where a person feels like I'm grinding against the natural pace of life and my life and I'm doing too much or not enough or whatever it is, relationship complexities. And so often I would sit there and listen and just beneath the surface, I would think, oh, there's just something really hard you have to accept right now, which means there's something you have to let go of. You didn't think it would turn out like this, Mm -hmm. but it has and you're angry or frustrated or maybe a little bitter or resentful and you're feeling these things and you don't know exactly what's happening but then all of a sudden you're like oh maybe there was some expectation you had about how all of this was supposed to go like i was supposed to be here by 28 years old (laughs) no by 30 i was supposed to own two houses and you're like now i'm just happy i paid rent last month right and, and in those conversations, I would just think just beneath the surface is something painful you have to accept, something you have to let go of. But then, and this is why the title of the book is The Joy of Letting Go, if you trust that letting go, no matter how hard it feels, 
all of a sudden, all of this space opens up for joy, for newness, and for you to begin again. And like I say in the book, every time you begin again, a part of you is born again. So sometimes I feel like I'm the person who writes a book like this and thinks, I wish I didn't have to say this to people. Mm, yeah. Hey, there's something really hard you have to accept right now, and it's going to be painful to do it. I get that. I know that journey. There's something you have to let go of. It's so hard. But what I'm happy to say because when you do that, all of a sudden, all this fertile, this fertile soil of your spirit and of life has room to create more and to give birth to something mm -hmm. new. So to me, it's letting go is always this invitation just beneath the surface of so much of where we feel stuck. Yeah, and you even start the book with saying this is a really unpopular idea, right? Because it goes, <laughs> it goes against the grain of our entire culture, entire Western culture. We see headlines mm. all the time on the front of magazines like, you can have it all. We don't have to die mm. to anything. We could actually have everything mm. we want. But the truth that you're speaking to is that actually we can't. And often we have to make these really hard decisions because saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. Or letting go of something exactly. that's very difficult for us to do. Yes, that exactly. That's so good. And that's that's funny. I start the book. I'm like, I know this isn't good for building a platform because I'm talking about the one thing we unconsciously spend most of our lives trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. But yet I can't help but say it because not just myself, but in the perennial tradition, the great wisdom teachers from every religious tradition over history have in some way, shape or form talked about the need for death, the need for letting go, which are all connected. Mm -hmm. So I see myself as a part of that ongoing stream that continues to do that in a unique way in my own context. And so often when there it is time to let go or time to forgive or time to accept something, right? These really hard things. We fight, we resist, we desperately mm. wish it could be a million other easier things, right? We wish we could simply move faster, work harder, become more determined, right? Because we, that's how we're trained. Like when you talk about Western culture, in this consumer capitalist culture, we're trained with a certain ethic, with a certain rugged individualism, with a certain, I just keep going harder, right? There's so much in culturally that works against the the muscles of acceptance and letting go right and what i say to people is after all those impulses fire off in your body and all those desires raced by your stream of consciousness eventually at times in your life there's just something painful you need to accept which means there's something you have to let go of and then when you do that what do i keep saying there's more room for joy on the other side so it's very not just counter and countercultural but counterintuitive oh yeah because letting go is a form of dying and we're taught to win. Like dying is losing, right? It's surrender. Right. Who wants to surrender? Who wants to die? Who wants to lose? We're winners. We're champions. We can just mm -hmm. grit our teeth and use our ego strength and willpower to overcome anything. And other times it's, well, that's actually, that stuff's helpful for some yeah. things in your life. But when it comes to matters of love, when it comes to matters of the spirit, when it comes to matters of intimacy and connection, it actually isn't winning and trying harder that's going to get us where we want to go. It's deeper things. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a much deeper, the strength of humility and being open, not how hard can you push your body till you're sick. That's not what's going to mm -hmm. get us to the connection and love that we desire. Yeah. I would love for you to, I think it's really interesting that in the book, actually a part I laughed out loud was that you said you got 
banned from a Christian college in Hawaii. Oh, man. Um, and it was one of these instances <laughs> where you really had to let go. And I'm like, that's hilarious because I've also been banned from places that I never thought I'd be banned from. So nice. I'd love for you to use your experience um, with letting go in that instance in particular, if you could. Mm. Yeah, I'll tell you the details like they're in the institution. So I'm not going to like put them on blast of exactly how it went down. Yeah. But I'll tell you this story after I wasn't at the school, you know, and when I when I left, it was more like, hey, we know you, you and your wife are starting this church. We think you should focus on that. But maybe in the future you can come back. That's kind of how they communicated mm. things after my okay. first semester teaching there. Right. So I'm like, OK, it's like we're still cool. Maybe I'll be back. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. And then one morning a friend of mine who was also a teacher there asked me to come guest lecture in his class so i, I had a late night because our church started in our home so people are at our house super late the next morning i wake up and preparing this lecture you know like it takes work mm -hmm. like it's not it's doable if you know how to do it but it's all it's all hard work so i wake up and do it early and i had this thought i'm driving to school now i had this thought i wonder if my friend asked like the dean or whoever for permission for me to come. I, Cause I bet he didn't cause he probably didn't think anything of it. Right, right. But because of another instance I had when I went there just to study in the library where they had a certain energy towards me and, were like, and they said something like, you need a guest pass to be here. I was like, whoa, this is, I'm feeling a certain energy from people here that's kind of weird. Right. And I, I called my friend, I was like, bro, like, did you ask if I could come teach? And he kind of like, was like, no. I said, you, you should, you know? <laughs> and then he calls me back. Three minutes later, as I was on my way, he said, Kev, dude, I'm so sorry, but they said you can't come on campus. And I'm driving there and I'm like 29 at this point. You know, I say sharing the book is like my dream to like teach in a college and do other things and do multiple things. And it was all happening. Right. Like the things I was planning for were happening. And when he said that, I said, look, that's not on you. I totally get it. You know, it, I, it, it ain't nothing between us. And I just flip the most illegal U-turn like in the middle of the road to go home because I'm just so over it. And I went home and, you know, you can get angry and you can be upset, but beneath the surface, well, I'm hurt. That, when I get down to it, there's just pain there. Mm -hmm. You know, what is, it, what is it like to be excluded from the one place you want to be more than anything else? What is it like to not feel welcomed in a place you've worked so hard to become a part of, you know, on one level and through grad school and everything? And... In order for me to move forward in a situation like that, well, what's something I have to accept? Maybe sometimes I'm not going to be welcomed and included in the places that I want to be because they do, do not feel aligned with how I see reality. Maybe in the future for some people, maybe I'm too inclusive, maybe I'm too welcoming, maybe I'm too progressive, maybe I'm too liberal or whatever they wanna say about me. And I also say, one, that's something you have to accept. And one, that's painful. But at the same time, that's, that's about integrity on my part. That's about alignment. That's about conviction. I'm not going to make myself smaller or deny the truth of how I see people and how I see God and how I see humanity in order to be welcomed in this institution. So in that moment, what do I have to accept? Maybe sometimes I won't be welcome for me. What do I have to let go of? The need to be liked, the need to be approved of by all these people in authority who I respect. And if I can, is it painful? Yeah, I, I sat on the couch and laid there for a few hours. Just, it's hard for me to get up right now because that hurt me. Hmm. But once I let go of it, I'm like, man, there's still so much life ahead and I'm going to be fully me in the spaces that are right for me. 
But if I needed the, if I couldn't let go of the need for approval or acceptance by them, now I'm stuck changing myself for the sake of them. No, I refuse to do that. Like that's my first book, The Making of a Mystic. I'm like, Richard Rohr says, he's a great Franciscan priest. Richard Rohr says, the mystic is so dangerous to institutions because the mystic looks at an institution and says, there's nothing that you can give me that I do not get already directly from God. Mm acceptance, approval, affirmation. None of you have the power to give that to me. And if I trust that, I'm free now. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to practice acceptance. I'll, I might get hurt along the way, but I'm going to yeah. keep going. So that's a moment where the letting go in those instance, in instances can be the path that, yeah, it's tough, but this isn't stopping. You know, we're going to keep moving forward. And letting go is clearing the way right. for the fullness of me to give myself to the world, not a smaller version for the sake of institutional acceptance. Like, and as a quick side note, instant, yeah. the need for institutional acceptance is a massive barrier towards the emergence of our true self. Me conforming to these systems, me conforming to whatever institutions they are, if that need, that ego need right there, and it is an ego need, it's very tribal, I need to be accepted by the tribe, I totally get that. There's evolutionary reasons why our brain needs that. I get it. But if, if I'm conforming to that, I'm betraying parts of me. And, I, and for me, I, I don't do that. I just am not that type of person. So that moment sucked. And, I'll, yeah. and now I live close to where I did a U-turn. It's like right by my house. I go by it all the time. I'm like, oh, this is the part where I just flipped that illegal U-turn. But yeah, again, I could have stayed angry. I could have stayed bitter. I could have just attacked that school and been another angry religious person who's very progressive right. and mad at all the conservative. No, there's more life for me ahead and my joys ahead so I can keep going. Yeah, and I think we the story could stop right there. That could have been the end of your book, right? You're like, oh, I dealt with this and this is how you let go <laughs> and that's the end of the story and that's how we all become joyful and free. But I And then think... we never have to let go again. It's that Yes, simple. perfect. We can have it all. But I think what's important to note is that you're saying this is just one instance, that life is going to present us with more and more opportunities to let go, maybe in the same way, maybe in a similar way, maybe in a completely different way, but you're going to have multiple opportunities to do this again and again. And I think what you said is for the full expression of the divine through you, those are my words, not yours, but I feel like that's no, no, what we're yeah, getting at. Totally. Yeah, that's letting go is not a one-time thing. Like there's there's big forms of letting go. Mm -hmm. And then there's small forms of letting go. Like even when I finished the book in the outro, in Honolulu here, I live, I'm like two blocks from the water, but also the mountains are, you know, 10 minutes from my house. You kind of, in you live in between in our city. Mm -hmm. And there's spots up in the mountains where I spend time in silence and contemplation and meditation. And I went up there when I finished the book and it was, you know, a ceremonial, like I'm going to write the outro up mm -hmm. here. I spent a lot of time here. And right when I went up there, the state worker put his leaf blower on and it was so loud, <laughs> like right by my table. I was like, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to have a special moment, me and God in silence in the book. I'm going to write it. It's this beautiful thing. And right when I sit down and have a moment, she's like, Vroom! just like right <laughs> by me. And I just kind of laughed and smiled and thought, oh, that's very appropriate because I have to practice one more small form of letting go to be present enough to write this. Because I could have, those little things, now you're irritated. 
right. came here. My moment was supposed to be like the shape of the moment was supposed to look like this. My mm -hmm. expectations weren't met. Now I'm angry, frustrated, pissed off or whatever it is. And now it's hard for me to be present to my partner, present to my friends, present mm -hmm. to my work, or just present to whatever it is because I'm bothered and irritated. Or right. I can smile and, and accept, what do I have to accept? Hey, this moment isn't going to be the way you thought it was. Can you mm -hmm. let go of the need for this to be silent and perfect to write this? Yeah. Okay. Well, now I can. Now that I did that, it took me ten seconds. Right. You know the, the. That's why I say in the book, the only way to get better at letting go is by letting go, mm -hmm. because it's such an embodied thing. Letting go is not a cognitive thing. It involves the mind, but it transcends it. It involves the heart, but transcends it. It's a mind, heart, and body. It's very embodied. Like when you really practice forgiveness and let go, you feel it. It's oh, physiological. Yeah. It might trigger anxiety. Your body could be firing off all kinds of uncomfortable impulses. That's why it's so hard for us to hold that or space. Grief. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Grief. Every, I'm glad you said that. Grief every time because if letting go mm -hmm. is a form of dying, which it is, that means on a scale of big to small, you are grieving every time you let go. That's why it's very challenging. I'm glad you said that. So but I've done it enough and I trust that path so frequently. I smile and I say, oh, I just have to let go of this. My little expectation, my little ego wants to be mad. It's okay, I can let go of that. 10 seconds later, now I can return and write again. That's, that's one of a thousand small forms of letting go I'm gonna do this month in order to stay mm -hmm. present and to stay open and to stay clear. So it's, that's what I'm saying. It's always an invitation just right. beneath the surface. Yeah, you make an, an interesting parallel between expect, expectations and presence. And when I was reading it in your book, I thought of how children are sometimes the best examples of this. Like you're a father, I'm a mom, and mm -hmm. I teach children. And forget your expectations when you walk. Oh, well, by into the way, by the way, if you're a parent, if you're if you're a parent, you're definitely gonna know the need to let go a thousand times in order to <laughs> yeah. be present. Yeah. Not just be present, stay sane. <laughs> yeah. Like, like every time I've ever had an expectation, whether as a parent or as a teacher, a children's yoga teacher, of this is how this hour is going to go, poof, forget it. It's not going to go that way at all. <laughs> Zero chance of that happening. Yeah, that's, you know, the structure of the book for people listening is, you know, the joy of letting go, how one thing has the power to change everything. So there's, I don't know how many, I forget how many there's, maybe like let's say 14 chapters. So there's mm -hmm. a chapter on passion, a chapter on being present, a chapter on receiving love and experiencing God, a chapter on joy. And what I'm saying is this is the unique way letting go is required in order to do each one of these well and to mm -hmm. sustain joy along the way. Because when you're a healer, when you're a social worker, you're a teacher, you're a parent, you're a caretaker, you're a pastor, whatever it is, anybody who's especially in that world of, of caring, it is... It's not easy. You know, it's, there's so many, there's a million reasons to be frustrated. There's a million reasons to be angry at the world because of how much injustice and pain there is. There's a million reasons to be upset. And what I'm saying is letting go is required for us, not just to do all these things well, but for us to keep having peace, for us to keep having joy. So one of those chapters is about being present, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about it, what does letting go have to do with being present? It almost makes, it doesn't seem to make any sense. Right. But this is an example I say in the book, the first thing you have to let go of in order to be present is any form of judgment, need to control or impulse to change or fix any part of the present. Mm 
That's what we're talking about. Your yoga class, your, the moment with your kids or whatever it is. Because when you need to fix something, you cannot be present. When you need to change someone, and I'm sure we've all tried, you cannot be present to them because you're just so concerned with changing them into what mm -hmm. you think they're supposed to be in the moment. And when, especially when we try to control the moment, you can't be present to the moment. And our inability to let go of our expectations gets in the way of our ability to experience. My expectation, this is how the shape of the moment's supposed to go. The experience is happening and you're like, this is not how I envisioned this going. By the way, that's every single day of our lives in some form. <laughs> yeah. Now, what the ego, what the ego wants to do is try to control the moment and cram the moment to fit our previously established expectations, whether they were conscious or not. This is supposed mm -hmm. to be like this. Now I need to control you, fix you, fix that, because all of this needs to fit in my previously, you know, conceived this is the shape of the moment. Or Perhaps the way forward is not controlling and fixing the moment into the shape we thought it was supposed to be. Maybe it's us surrendering and letting go of the shape of what we thought the moment was supposed to be, letting it be what it is, and now we can return and actually be present to it. Right? That's why the great activist and mystic Simone Well said, the beautiful is that which we cannot wish to change. You have, in order to be fully present, you cannot have the ego impulse or some sort of need to change, fix, manipulate, coerce, or bend the moment into something else because you it's no longer experienced as beautiful by you because you need to change it, right? Letting this moment be exactly what it is right now means mm -hmm. I have to let go of the way I thought it was supposed to be. Even that small form of letting go, right. that is almost a constant flow. Like letting go to me, is it's not one thing we do, it's a flow that we're in. Mm -hmm all of the time that's why i say letting go is not one thing we do letting go is that which maintains the flow of everything we do we are constantly needing to practice accepting this moment for what it is <clears throat> and letting go of the need for us to have it be what we thought it was supposed to be that's that's why even i did one episode and i think this person realized oh so when you're talking about letting go it isn't primarily external things like i need to mm -hmm. let go of a job i need to let go of a right. relationship but it is those things sometimes without mm -hmm. a doubt. But the majority of maintaining the flow of our life and letting go, it's actually interior expectations, the landscape of our own being. I'm secretly resentful towards you because I did this and you didn't say thank you the way I thought you were supposed to. Oh, I gotta, I gotta let go of that. Like that's what maintains the flow of our life or else we're getting stuck and frustrated and now we're just pissed, you know? That's almost the harder one. I think the internal letting go is the harder one because we're so used to and it's so accepted to be like, oh, this isn't working, let it go. Let go of the relationship. Oh, my job's not working, let it go. Let go of the job. But I think the harder one is the acceptance piece of it, is to say this thing that internally I don't want to accept, I have to let that go. That's almost more mm. painful, I think. Yeah, and it's very, it's very subtle. Oftentimes, you know, just like the movements of our interior life are very subtle. Oftentimes, if we're not paying close attention to our hearts and listening to our life, like that's one thing I say about mm -hmm. clergy, like that's the world I come from. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. I had a very unique experience that led me to this awakening moment with Christ while I was on mushrooms when I was 18. More of that story is in my first book, The Making of a Mystic. <laughs> and 
you know, this, the, the story, life, death, and resurrection, this Christian tradition, that's what I'm flowing out of. And that's something that I've seen so often is the need for clergy to learn how to read their own life. That's why I'll tell mm -hmm. people pastors can be good at reading the Bible, but they're not good at reading their own heart. Mm. Or they can, they know how to, they have reverence for the sacred text of scripture, but not enough reverence and close attention to the sacred text of their own life. And that, that's in my tradition that I'm saying, talking about pastors, but that could be true for yoga teachers. That could be true Absolutely. for anybody who's, who's any form of a spiritual teacher or guide is mm -hmm. seeing the journey. I can teach you and doing the journey myself yeah. is not the same thing. No. You want those to be closer and closer. That's a part of our, our own growth. But oftentimes we can deceive ourselves and think because I see the journey and understand it, I'm doing it for myself. Like someone mm. can teach a class on forgiveness and refuse to forgive their <laughs> yeah. mom. You know, <laughs> that's for not because sure. when they when they have to forgive, they have to feel the uncomfortable feelings. They have to face the things that are hard to face. They have to accept the things that are hard to accept. That's the embodied part of it, you know? But when I say things are subtle, it's like, I'll, I'll tell us, I, I think this was in my first book, but you know, there was a kid in our church, you know, really liked him, you know, great artist, really respected his opinion on things. Mm -hmm. And this is a, this is, you know, eight years ago or something, but we were talking once and he was like, Kev, man, when I first came to Imagine, which was the name of our church that we actually closed down last May, he's like, man, every sermon was like, just, pfft. he's like, but the last few, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he's just being honest. <laughs> yeah. and it's cool. He's just being honest. But when he said that, I could feel my ego contract a little mm -hmm. bit. You know, when you get that heart sinks into your stomach, like this mother, you know, like that type of thing. When but there's moments our little insecure ego gets offended because we want to be special. We want people to mm. like us. We want people to think our work's good, whatever our ego needs are. And when that happened, I could feel it happening in real time. I know my body. Offense registers in my body as like a warm energy in my chest. Mm. For everybody, it's different. Sometimes it's like your skin gets flush. Your, if your neck feels, no, mine is like in my heart, like chest area, mm -hmm. it's like, it feels warm. So I say, oh, I know myself when that happens, I felt offended. And we just, I'm aware of it. I let it pass. We keep talking. When the conversation was over and I drove home, actually, I think I might've pulled over for a second. I just said, what part of me was offended right there? Mm. Oh, that was just my insecure ego that felt a little embarrassed or what it's stupid because he didn't say my teachings were good then then i say well can you know can you accept that not everyone's always going to think every teaching you do is mind-blowing can you right. let go of your ego's needs for that yeah okay that's that's a minute after that mm -hmm. minute if i could actually do that interior work of that subtle little movement now i'm back because if we don't do that these things build up within us mm -hmm. They, and they, not only do they prevent our own peace and joy, they prevent our ability to love others. Because what can happen, depending on your personality and your specific coping mechanisms, is mm -hmm. if I'm the type of, if I'm a people pleaser who wants to win people over, now I'm going to overextend myself and be extra nice and extra affirming and extra kind to make sure that person likes me. Mm. Now, I'm an introvert naturally, so my patterns like that, they're not external. Like, let me win mm. you over, they're internal. It's like, you don't know it, but I can sort of withhold myself and create distance from you where I'm like, F, F 
this dude. Like, I'm not even going to be that cool with him anymore. Like, that's more me, right? And if I, if I'm not doing the work of forgiveness, acceptance, letting go in these small things, I don't even, we don't even realize that we have all these barriers up towards our ability to connect mm -hmm. with people and to give ourselves freely. Like when you say the divine life flowing through us, well, all those barriers, the resentment, the non-forgiveness, the whatever, those are all barriers towards the divine life flowing to me and mm -hmm. through me for the sake of the world. So it's all, a lot of it's so much about self-awareness and the subtleties of knowing what's happening within me. I'm not going to let go of anything unless I am first aware of that which I need to let go of. That's about self-awareness. So, yeah, those subtleties are so, they're, they're small, but they're big, like what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and then yeah. I'm thinking how often, especially I'll speak for myself in my younger years, how I would self-sabotage because my ego was bruised in some way. Like that mm. person didn't like me or I felt like that group wouldn't accept me. So in my mind, I'm creating all these stories about why, why they're bad and I'm good and they were wrong and I was right and blah, 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 which makes me cut them off or do something that forces me to create more separation between me and this person or me and this group when it could have just been as simple as you described to be like, oh, why was I offended in that situation? Or why do I think that mm. these people don't like or don't accept me? What do I have to let go of to be able to be in flow in relationship with them? And I think for leadership and for parenting, for example, mm. so much of the real work of leadership, you're a pastor, you're, you have your small business owner, whatever, whatever you are. I just, those are, that's what I know, but it right. could be anything. But say as a parent, so much of the real transformative work of a leader is paying attention to our own life and regulating ourselves. Because everything I'm describing, also, if I'm blocked, I have barriers up, I'm frustrated, resentful about this, that'll affect my relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. That'll affect my relationship with my kids, you know, as opposed to instead of exploding, letting things build up, withholding, being too stressed to even be present, all these things mm -hmm. that are getting in the way of the connection we all desire. If I have a consistent practice, say for on a very practical level, even for me in times of silence and solitude, oftentimes my times of silence, solitude, prayer, meditation, contemplation, call it whatever you want. For me, it's all the same thing. Right. In those moments, I might be sitting there because of a conversation the earlier the morning or the, the night before of some sort of thing where I'm like, huh, that was, that was, you know, intense, you know, like you're leading something and something happens. What is happening within me right now? Oh, well, when that person said this, it brought up this and <clears throat> it isn't a one-time thing. It's actually a pattern. And I realize whenever they do that, it actually triggers these old relationships I have or my own stuff. And that makes me feel like this. And I almost need to shrink in that. Like, oh, so when they said that, it actually wasn't personal, but I felt offended because I interpreted it like this. Oh, that, mm -hmm. that's probably not what was happening right there. Oh, I, oh yeah, it's just this. Oh, but now I can return to the group without anger, without withholding, or with more clarity and the ability to be present, the ability to have the courage to speak, to listen, whatever is required. So, so much of our relationships, our lives, the connection, the creative work we're doing is actually, am I doing my own work of transformation in order to keep room for everything else that wants to be born out of me? So that's, again, we would rather 
go to a three-day con like a, for christians like you rather go to a yeah. two-night conference and just worship as hard <laughs> as you can and sing louder and make it all go away no or we just go to let's just go to burning man for a few days and i'm gonna do yeah. this here no let's go to this three-day seminar and they said i can die to my ego in three days it only costs a thousand dollars it's like i'm not saying there's no good in any of those things at all but the real work of trans of ongoing transformation is not the peak experience that happens on a saturday night that's my point of saying all those things in a lighthearted way it's when like what's today wednesday wednesday afternoon Am I facing and feeling and letting go of that little offense that happened to me yesterday? That's what's going to keep me. That's what's going to clear me out and keep me free. Am I doing my own work of, oh, you know what? A part of me wanted to work harder at this project to show them this because they're doing this. Or, oh, actually, there's just actually beneath that. I got hurt by somebody. And instead of working harder and trying, like, so often our ego tries to achieve our way out of the spaces that need healing. Yeah. We would rather, because again, we'd rather just work harder and go harder than actually face what's in us. So instead of just achieving more, oh, actually, man, there's something I need to forgive right here. And now that I forgive, it doesn't mean I won't do the work. Maybe I will, but I'm not doing it with the energy of I'm going to prove it to you and show them that's, that's not a joy-filled energy. That's a life-sucking energy that will leave you depleted. So again, I'm like the person who keeps saying the real work of spirituality, the real work of transformation is not those peak experiences. Although you can have them and they're great if they're real. I've had many powerful experiences like that, but it's, do I have a consistent practice that allows me to continue to directly experience spirit for myself, mm -hmm. to surrender my need to control, to let go of, to accept all these things. Cause that is what's going to keep me present and keep me alive. I would love it if you shared for everyone listening and everybody watching what that practice looks like for you. Is there a daily practice or you try to schedule it in or you kind of just let it flow? I would love to hear about that. Yeah, that's if I joke around where if people meet me sometimes, depending on what moment you can meet me and be like, this dude doesn't take anything serious. <laughs> or if you meet me in another moment, you're like, this guy's way too serious because <laughs> I say in, in my first book, The Making of a Mystic, I'm like, the mystic is the one who talks about the hilariousness after the heaviness. You know, it's yeah. this, it's the, it's the wonder after all of the real work or whatever. I just kind of made that up, but it's, it's both of those things. And even as a person who doesn't need a lot of external structure for the sake of my own creative mm -hmm. contribution, like I work better actually creating my own structure. I'm not like mm -hmm. show up at this time and do this from other people. Right. I'm also still a very self-disciplined person. And I get mm -hmm. that from my dad. You know, my dad showed up every morning, wakes up, like same food, same coffee, goes to work, provide for the fam. Like he, I really mm. just pick that up, you know, as you do in family systems and the way those patterns get passed down, like, oh man, I, I'm grateful to him because I get that self-discipline from him and I, and I love it. Um, I will see, I'll give you a simple version of my everyday practice. Okay. Even, this is funny to say, but even as a pastor for 10 years, like I didn't really read the Bible devotionally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew it. I have degrees, theology, went to Bible college, and I would teach and do all that. But for me, it's easy to mistake gathering information for actual transformation mm -hmm. or compiling 
you know, info with actual connection. It's not the same thing. They can be linked, but they're not always linked. You know, so sometimes it's like this person sat down, read the Bible, journal about it. I'm like, but were you actually present and awake? And was your heart unguarded? Were you open to the spirit? Like people can easily, you know, Brendan Manning, there's a story of this great writer, Brendan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. But one time he said, you know, evangelicals can hide from God in their Bibles. So you can read your Bible and gather information all the time as a way of avoiding the truth of your own life and the truth of God, which is always deeper and, and sometimes more painful Harder. on your way to freedom. Right, exactly. And for me, I do a very standard 20-minute like contemplative sit, 20-minute prayer, 20-minute silence. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much do it like almost exactly the same every time I do it. And I'll tell people on a very practical level and I got this breath part in the beginning from Thich Nhat Hanh the great Vietnamese mm-hmm. monk who passed away in the last couple years and 20 minutes in silence the first about eight minutes is just breathing mm-hmm. so this is how I do it it normally I don't know if people are interested in the details but I'm gonna share it yes I think they time. are <laughs> uh, for very you know it's because it's practical that's what practices do they anchor us you know like mm-hmm. spiritual practices aren't getting God to work. Spiritual practices are about us waking up to the God who is always at work and always present. So the practices are just opening us up essentially. So I take a deep breath in very slowly. I get to the top of the breath and I count to one in my head. I exhale and I count to one. So I go breath in one breath out one breathe in again. I'm talking about long, slow, deep breaths, you know, in, in the 10 breaths, like in eight to nine minutes, I don't even take that many breaths. Right. I count to two. I breathe out. I count two. And I do that because if you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, your mind can check out and it can mm-hmm. go to like precognitive, just like muscle yeah. memory. Like you're, you're, you're saying the numbers without even thinking about it. To me, going one, one, two, two is just enough for the mind, for you to like stay present, it's just enough focus. So I go one, one, two, two, three, three, up to 10. Then I go back where it's nine, nine, eight, eight, seven, seven. That's about eight minutes if you breathe slowly. And once I do that, I I finish and I open my eyes and I'm like, I'm here. My heart rate's very low. My core temperature's down because I usually will do it in the morning. I'm not firing off doing a bunch of things. I'm in that moment. I'm like, without the breath, I'm not as pre- I'm not that present. Mm-hmm. And again, our monkey minds and our egos are they're funny, fascinating things and objects because your mind might relate to the breath as like something to get through. It's another task to get through. <laughs> one, one, two, two. I'm done. Yeah. That one took thirty seconds. Right now, what do I do? Right. And by the way, for people who, if anyone practices that. If you're at four, four, five, five, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta have this conversation with this person. You're replaying that. You catch yourself. There's no judgment there. That's a part of it. You're learning mm-hmm. to practice that non-judgmental awareness. I'm not bad now. I'm not, I'm not, oh, I'm doing it bad. Oh no, my mind just wandered off. Let me come back. Now I'm present again. Six, six, seven, seven, wander off again. Let me come back. You know, like this great father of centering prayer, Thomas Keating, who, who mm-hmm. really, introduce a lot of people to centering prayer in the West. Could you explain what centering prayer is for those that don't know? 
Yeah, centering prayer is kind of like what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say Cynthia Bergeau t- defines centering prayer as this. One of the defining markers is like objectless awareness. Mm-hmm. So I'm not aware of that, that or that. You're just aware with, mm-hmm. the, with trying to have as little objects flowing through your stream of consciousness as possible. So you're just aware to life as it is. You're aware to being as such. You're just aware. So mm-hmm. it's sort of this objectless awareness. And where your mind's very still and you're very present, you're not really dwelling on any one thing. You're actually letting go of and detaching from all things that arise within you as you do it. <clears throat> but this woman comes up to Thomas Keating and she's like, oh, Father, it's just so hard. Like, you know, when I try to pray, I just, my mind wanders off like 10,000 times. And he says, ah, oh, it's so amazing. It's 10,000 opportunities to return to God. And your true, and I'll add to your true self. And mm-hmm. we have to allow ourselves the permission to do that. Oh, my mind wandered off 30 times. That's okay. But the point is we're here. And if you do it for a few years, maybe it'll be 20 times. Yeah. It'll be 10 times. And you, you have, we have to give ourselves the freedom to start. You know, when Zen talks about, you know, beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. And so I do that for, you know, about, it's about eight-ish minutes, depending. And then... Sometimes I will have these very slow conversations out loud. Like if I'm, if I feel like, oh, there was a conversation yesterday I need to process Hmm. because something happened. I say, oh, when my friend told me that about this accomplishment he got, oh, part of me, I felt something. Hmm. What was happening? Oh, well, when he told me about the success, it actually made me feel a lack it made me feel envious for a sec. It made me, oh, well, well why is that? Well, it's just, I, I, I want that. Okay, well, that's, that's his journey. You have your journey and you're on your way. Oh, like, you, you don't have to compare. So it's like, a part of me is like, oh, what was happening with me? Oh, that, oh, I can accept that, right? Do I need to let go of something? I need to let go of the need to compare myself to others. I can let go of that. Other times, if I'm not processing those types of things, like when we talk about acceptance, I will read books by mystics like Richard Rohr, Mirabai Starr, whoever, Thomas Merton, whoever it is. And I don't read them like how you normally read a book. Because that way you're right back in the mind and you're really mm. not present in an embodied way because your mind's just taking over and you're reading and it's very cerebral and cognitive. Right. But I take books that I've already read. Like even, for example, next to me, there's this Ken Wilber book called Integral Spirituality. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, because I've already read it, I highlight everything in my book. Um, and I will open it up and I'll just look for like a highlighted phrase. So this, even for example, I literally just opened this book and it says, this is why meditation does not get at the shadow, only the symptoms. So now it's talking about meditation and it's talking about shadow work and the difference between them. And I'll think, and I just kind of sit with that. Yeah. And I'll think, yes, the symptoms our neurotic symptoms we're angry we overwork ourselves we do this that is not the issue the issue is beneath the surface of what these neurotic symptoms they're not the point they're actually the coping mechanisms or the things that are preventing us from the real point what is beneath the surface you get down far enough oh it's actually my need for approval i was angry up there but i was actually hurt down here so or the book might say like mirabai star has this great quote i don't know if this is verbatim but she's like what do you do during your spiritual meltdown and she says melt <laughs> the hardest part like how amazing is that yeah, yeah. That, that's surrendering and acceptance and letting go 
And you think bring a meltdown, you're trying to hold it all together. And it's like, maybe that's not what's needed right now. It's for you to hold it all together. Maybe you trying to hold it all together in this way is actually what's leading you to distress. Mm-hmm. And when your life feels impossible, maybe what do we do in our meltdown? Maybe we trust God enough, trust life enough to allow ourselves to melt, to surrender, to let go of things and say, well, the point isn't to try harder. It's actually to let myself be loved better right now. That's a different mm-hmm. thing. So. That's what I'll do. And I'll, I'll talk very slowly out loud. 20 minutes is up. It's like, okay. I begin the day with the depth of who I am before accomplishing, before working, before contributing, before creating, before comparing, before competing, before anything. I begin with the depth of I'm already okay. Love is the deepest part of this universe and it, it, it love alone has the ability to define who i am i'm already loved if i sit in that in an embodied way the first 20 minutes of the day now i can begin the day not trying to get something from the world but knowing i have something to give to the world and that's a very different energy so yeah that's you know i do that is pretty frequently and it's not much more complicated than that so i'm like the more and more you go to that place to experience the truth of myself, my loved, affirmed, connected, already enough sense of self, like at the center of the universe is a gaze coming from God of pure affirmation. If I mm-hmm. sit in that the first three minutes of the day, I have a better chance of trusting that later in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, I got offended. Yeah, please go ahead. You know, it's almost like before the world tells you who you are, because most people will jump up and jump on social media. You have all these comments telling you who you are, family telling Mm. you who you are, your work, whatever that is. But you're speaking to a very sacred moment of time where you are kind of like a scientist digging into who you actually Mm -hmm. are. Mm, Yeah. And that's the powerful thing about offering the authentic version of ourselves to the world is the more and more I go to that place in silence and actually experience, not believe in a cognitive way, but in a deeper form of knowing who I actually am. For me, one of the healthiest contributions religion has to make, and for me as a Christian, one of the healthiest things I will keep telling people is like, well, my job is just to keep reminding people who they are. Mm. You're already that. You know that which you seek from other people, you're already that. Like. I have this funny image in my mind when I think about so much of our lives. I'm like, everybody wakes up in the river, gets out of the river, and goes and begs other people for Dixie cups of water. (laughs) No, you're in the river. The point is to trust that. Because like you said, when family systems, jobs, culture tries to tell you who you are, if I'm in that river enough and I know who I am, I'm still going to go to those places because there's work to be done. We don't just sit there all the time. But when somebody tries to put something on me, I can silently and subtly deep down just be like, no, no, that's not what this is. We need you to do this. No, no I don't. That's, that's not what I'm about. Oh, like, like, like at that school. Oh, I'm not welcome anymore. Does that hurt? Of course it does. Hmm. But you just don't have the power to tell me who I am and who I'm going to become because I, I know the path that I'm on. So to me, silence and solitude is getting quiet enough to feel trust and know how loved we truly are over and over we return to the silence is returning to the arms of a lover who's like you're okay and now when i go into the world and someone says i'm not okay i'm like no but i am though (laughs) (laughs) that's like to me like that's what prayer is 
like, yeah. no, you're not that. Like, well, no, you did this wrong. I'm like, you're right. I did that wrong. But also, it doesn't take away anything essential from who I am. It was a mistake. And now I have the freedom to let myself make mistakes and be imperfect. Oh, I made that mistake. I can apologize because I know making mistakes doesn't take away anything from that essential mm-hmm. self that I know who I am, that I wake up and try to trust each time I go into that place. Oh, you're that. No, I'm not. You messed up. You're right. I messed up. I'm very sorry. And I can let myself make mistakes now because I know mm-hmm. it doesn't take away anything essential from who I am. That's a powerful thing. It's it's incredibly powerful. I don't know many people that sit with themselves long enough to fully accept themselves and to be able to be like, that's not mine. You can keep that. I'll apologize when I need to, but it doesn't take away from my sense of self and mm, connection. Totally. That's and, why it's so hard. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, like, so many people will avoid that silence, though. I mean, as a yoga teacher for a decade now, I have taught a class, and the point where half the people will get up or some people will get up is Shavasana, right? Corpse pose, where we just sit and lay in silence. So there's Mm. a deep-seated fear there. What would you say to people that are saying, yeah, I get it, 20 minutes are important to connect with who I am, but, like, I can't? Yes. You know, letting go is a sacred handing over. Letting go, being present to the things within you, and then starting to practice acceptance and letting go of things, healing things, naming things for what they are. You know, that happened to me and that was painful. Like, Mm -hmm. it feels like an unconscious removing of multiple layers of the very clothes that have been covering us for as long as we remember. Very scary. You know, followed by this you know, vulnerable exposing of ourselves to the, what I say, the possibility of the presence of a loving God, a benevolent reality or or whatever hell, whatever it is that holds all this together. Mm -hmm. And that for me is why, you know, my faith is not, I, I believe in God in some abstract way. Faith is, no, I'm trusting that God and love is strong enough to hold me together when it feels like I'm not gonna make it through. Why is it hard? Why is silence scary? Why is it hard to face whatever it is that's within us? Because unconsciously we believe some of those things are too painful for us to survive. I can't face that. I can't accept that. I can't be honest about what happened to me. I can't be honest about what I did, right? It could be our own mistakes too. We don't realize it, but we unconsciously act as if facing these things within us are somehow going to destroy us, kill us, or overcome us. And to me, faith and the unconditional love of God, this infinite love that's pouring itself out to us, like Colossians 1.17 talks about the Christ who holds all things together. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of this animating force of love that holds all things together. What I want to say is that force, that love will hold you together. When you face that thing within that you've been avoiding without realizing it all the time, and there's no judgment on that. This is all hard stuff. This is all trauma, mm-hmm. overcoming trauma, healing. It's all very real. It's all very powerful stuff. This is I can talk about it with a lightheartedness because I've been through a lot and I've healed a lot of things. That's why I trust the path but I also know how real it is. So what I would say is you can feel those things all the way through and they won't destroy you because none of those things are stronger than this everlasting presence of love. 
And I truly don't just believe that I know that for myself. That's why as a Christian, I'm like, this story for me is life, death, and resurrection. Every one of those things that your ego relates to is death. It'll feel like death. Letting go is a form of death. Acceptance is a form of death. But the story I'm a part of and the story I believe that's happening in the universe is well after every death is resurrection. You thought that thing was the end. It was actually just the beginning. You thought it was over. No, there's more life on the other side. So I would say one, those things won't destroy you like the way you think they will. And also, do you have one or two people in your life who can hold that space with you when you talk about them? Can you actually name it out loud? Naming, not fighting, not resisting, just naming and being aware of things within you is what starts to release the power some of these things have over you. And sometimes that might feel too hard or confusing to do ourselves. That's understandable. This is why we have therapists. This is why there's third parties who are present. This is why you can have two or three friends come around me in, the, in these vulnerable shared spaces. This happened to me. I've never tell, told anybody before. Tears, weeping. The people in the room with their hands on my shoulders holding me as I'm weeping through this. To me, I'm like, that's why the image of the body of Christ, that metaphor for the church is so powerful. Because I tell people, when people are around you in those moments, God isn't just showing up through them. God's showing up as them in flesh and blood. They, they're not, the spirit isn't just through them, it's as them. Because <clears throat> why do I let, like, I think people can read my work and be like, why does he talk about like, death so much? Why does he talk about like the darkness? I'm like, well, no, I talk about letting go so much because I always have become more free on the other side. And I talk about dying so much and so casually because the death mysteriously is always the door to a new life. And I invite people into the darkness so passionately and confidently because it's the only place we can see the rays of resurrection light from the future drawing us forward. And for letting go, is there a force, God, love, spirit that can carry you through the letting go which is a form of death is there something that that's what my faith is i'm going to be carried through to the other side that's what defines my faith in many ways and sometimes your friends family the couple people you really trust you share these things out loud they hold that space with you it helps you trust that god's actually holding that space and carrying you through so again I wish I didn't have to say this to people. I wish you could just sing louder on a Friday, on a Saturday night at the next worship thing. I wish that thousand dollar seminar on whatever it is could magically heal you and they might help and they can show you the way mm -hmm. and they can help you do the way in the moment, depending on the environment, but the real transformative deep, like radical transformation, radical come from the Latin word radix, which means at the roots of your life, not modifying your behavior, but transforming your actual consciousness and healing the wounds within you. That is this deeper journey of acceptance and letting go. And this whole book is an invitation saying it's scary. Like the writer, David Foster Wallace says, everything mm -hmm. I ever let go of has claw marks on it. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to cling for seven years. You could let go of that in seven months. Why would you want to be miserable for seven years? Why would you want to be angry and resentful when you can let go of that quicker? And you know, if you do it enough, it's actually not seven months. You could do it in seven weeks. And you know, if you do it enough, it's not seven weeks, it's seven days. And I'm not joking, especially the smaller, the bigger ones are different, but the smaller stuff, it's not seven weeks, it's seven minutes. 
And I'm telling you the tiny little things where your ego gets offended, like someone says they don't like your sermons, it, it's seven seconds. I'm aware that happened. No big deal. I can accept it. Now I'm back and I'm present to you. Like mm-hmm. you can actually learn that path can become much quicker and the quicker and better you get at it, just the more free you are to, Hey, what, what is there for me to do in this world? I got work to do here. I got things to create. I got people to love. I got people to care for. Now I need to be, I need to be awake enough to do all that. That is a perfectly beautiful and profound truth that I would like people to really marinate in. So we're going <laughs> to pause right there. Um, awesome. So, and I'd like for folks to pick up your book to go a little deeper and it is the joy of letting go. Could you please let them know where to find it? Yeah. The joy of letting go, how one thing has the power to change everything. Kevin Sweeney, um, Amazon, easiest Amazon Barnes and Noble online, the easiest ways to get it. Um, if I have my own podcast called the church needs therapy mm-hmm. and half of them are interviews like this. The other half are my own teachings, you know, my own sort of offerings I have for people. And then I'm most active in media on Instagram and at Kevin Sweeney one is where I'm the most present in doing things and helping keep people can keep up. So yeah, you can tap into any of those places and letting go feels very scary. And it, I understand that because it is, but also there's a way through. And this book is saying, Hey, there's a way through this and we can, there is always more life on the other side of it. And that's one of the deepest things I believe about how this universe works is after death, after the letting go, after the acceptance, the impossible things, your life gets wider and bigger and more free on the other side. That's the truth. Thank you so much <laughs> for being here. And yeah, no, I appreciate it, us. Kristen. Um, I really appreciate you and your work. So thank you so much. No, thank you so much. This was great.